So if you have your Bibles today and you want to follow along, you can open up to the book of Ephesians chapter 5. <coughs> Excuse me. Ephesians chapter 5 is where we are today. You know, we have started a sermon series, and it is on the subject of taking the next steps. We all want to take the next step in our life. If you're talking about something good, uh, whether it be in our walk with God, of course, we certainly want to take the next step with regard to that. Uh, We want to take the next positive good step in that. We want to take the next positive good step when it comes to our marriage. That's where we're going to focus on this morning. We also want to take the next positive good step in the raising of our children. We want to take the next positive good step in the relationship that we have with our grandchildren. We want to take the next positive good step that we can take in our relationship with our friends and acquaintances. We want to take the next good step, positive step in following God's general will for our life individually, personally, as well as corporately as a body of believers. And so we're going to talk about those things in these next weeks Uh, some of these things, how we can take the next step, the next positive step. Because you're going to take a step, right? You, You really, there is no neutrality or no neutral as far as our journey in life. Uh, We're either taking step forward or we're taking steps backward. That's just the general nature uh, of the world in which we live. And so we want to take that next step forward. And as we look at this passage of Scripture today, we see uh, two things. One, we see God's heart toward us as a people, as the bride of Christ. And we see God in this illustration Paul uses of marriage, God's will and next positive step for each of us as men and women in this room in our marriages. Now, I just want to say to start with, some are called to singleness. Some are called to lifelong singleness. And that's a very good, very positive thing. You know, singleness, singlehood gets a bum rap and a lot of Protestant denominations. Uh, but if you are one who is called to lifelong singleness, it is with a purpose. And it is a great and wonderful thing to be called to that. It is a positive thing. And we should lift up and champion those folks who are called to lifelong singleness for God's purpose in their life. And some folks are. But for the vast majority of us, God's plan is marriage. God's plan is for us to enter into marriage. And whether or not you are called to lifelong singleness, you are married, or you hope to be married someday. I believe in this passage of Scripture there is a message for all of us as we see, as I said a moment ago, those two things in this passage. God's heart toward us demonstrated, exemplified in the covenant of marriage, and we see the marriage covenant in this illustration Paul uses here, how God intends for us to do marriage together as men and women. And when we look at this and we see this illustration, we open up in verse 22 and we see Paul say here, wives submit. That's a wonderful word, isn't it? All the men in the room said amen, right? This is a much abused, much maligned, much misunderstood passage of Scripture. And it's very, very terrible. It's a very sad thing that it has been. So much so that folks are afraid to preach on it. I asked a pastor friend of mine, and he's much, much older than I am. He's, I think, 61 now. He's a very wise man. Pastors a very large church down south of here. I asked him, said, any good word you have for me? I'm preaching on Ephesians 5, 22 through 33. Any good word you have for me on submission this week? He sent me back this response, tread lightly. 
I just sent back one word response, wisdom. Yeah, you know, because we so many times fear preaching this, this passage of scripture because of the culture in which we live. It is so abused and so maligned this word submission and what it really means uh, that folks are scared of, they're afraid of it. But the reality is, if you understand what Paul is saying here, there is a tremendous opportunity. It's an empowerment of women within the covenant of marriage. It's a tremendous opportunity for each of you ladies to empower your marriage and your life and to create a, a positive experience in your home, if you understand it well. This word submission means to reverence, to revere, to hold in high esteem, to voluntarily place oneself under the authority of another. As a bride of Christ, we are called to submit, as Paul says here, to Him. We are called to revere Him, to reverence Him, to worship Him, to honor Him, and to willingly follow Him. And ladies, it says in this passage of Scripture that you are to submit to your husband as Christ calls us as a church to submit to Him. You know the greatest need of a man is from his marriage? That his wife would respect him, would look up to him, would honor him, would revere him, and offer him the opportunity to set vision and to lead within his home. You want to build up your husband? You want to create a great man within your marriage? Ladies, you have the opportunity to do that if you revere him, reverence him, honor him, and respect him. You want to tear down your husband? You want to cause difficulty in your home? You can do it very easily if you'll just do the opposite of those things. If you treat him as though he is just another child in your home that you have to rear and discipline, if you talk poorly about him in the presence of others, you will tear down his very soul. You will break his heart. And you will break your marriage. Now, this submission, this submission that we're talking about here is a function within the marriage. It doesn't mean that you are less than he, okay? Now, I want us to really pay close attention to this. Most of this sermon is going to be to the men, ladies, so I'm getting there, all right? But we really need to understand this well. What Paul is talking about here is functions within the home. You are not less than he. You look at 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 7, and what Peter says here to us in this passage of Scripture is, is very indicative of what Christ intends for us to understand in this passage of Scripture. I think we have that. We're going to put it up here, 1 Peter chapter 3. Verse 7, in the same way, you husbands must give honor to your wives. Treat your wife with understanding as you live together. She may be weaker than you are. Now, he does not mean that you are weak-minded or weaker than he is in mind, right? In this culture, women were in a position where socially they were in a weakened position. And physically, you're not as strong as we are, generally speaking. Now, there are now a few women out there I'm not sure couldn't take us as men, right? But but the fact of the matter is, there were no, no women working out with weights back then, okay? So 
he's talking about socially speaking. He's talking about physically. He's not talking about mentally. He's not talking about any other way. He says here, she may be weaker than you are, but she is your equal partner in God's gift of new life. Okay, so when we go back to Ephesians 5 here, I want us to do so in light of this. She is your equal partner in God's gift of new life. Treat her as you should so your prayers will not be hindered. You know, your prayers, many of you, your prayers are hindered because you're not treating your wife right. That's a whole other sermon we'll get to another time, okay? But you need to make sure that your relationship with your wife is where it should be and your relationship with your wife is one of an equal partnership. What we're talking about here and what Paul is speaking to in Ephesians 5 is a matter of function. It's a matter of function. We are equal in Christ, but we have a calling as men to lead our homes. And fellows, leading your family means seeking and following God's plan for your marriage and family. What leading your home is and what she is submitting to is as you lead your home, you lead your, your household into God's vision. That means you better have your life right as far as your relationship with God is concerned because you are responsible for casting a vision within the home for where Christ wants your home to be. Now, this modern-day idea of an egalitarian relationship where everyone is equal, let me tell you something. There is not a single organization under the sun that has co-equal people leading it that is not complete chaos. God set this up so that the home would be a place of peace where you could thrive, your wife can thrive, and the children can thrive so that we all might discover and know and walk in God's will for our life. That's what God wants for our homes, to be a place of peace, to be a place where we can thrive. Now, you know, there are times, guys, when your wife knows something you don't, right? If you're a wise man, you know that and you admit that. Ladies, you understand that you know something your husband doesn't know occasionally, right? Probably more than just occasionally, right? For some of you, I know it's all the time. If you are a wise man, you are going to recognize, as we look at First Peter a moment ago, that she is your equal. You are walking in cooperation. There is a distinction as far as function in that you are to lead the home, cast vision, that you are to lead out in seeking and following after God's will for the home. But there are occasions that God puts a word in your wife's heart and mind that you better listen to. And you would be wise to do so. And you should pray over diligently and ask the Lord to show you whether it is from Him. You see, there is this discussion that goes on in the home in the seeking and following after God's will where a man can cast vision and a wife can, can affirm that vision or say, you know, I don't in my heart feel peace about this. Let us pray about this together. Now, in the end, it's the responsibility of a man to lead his house. And sometimes a wife will say, if that's where you feel God is leading us, then we'll go but I'm not sure I feel the peace you do about it. And sometimes it'll turn out the man is wrong. Sometimes it'll turn out that he's right. And we all together in forgiveness go forward, right? Even in those times when we're wrong. But what Paul is speaking to here is how we can have peace in our home. And ladies, let me tell you something. This is the way God designed men. God has designed men that they would be the protector. They would be a leader. They would be, in a sense, the savior of their homes. 
That's what God has placed within us as men, this innate desire to do this for you, to be this for you in the home. And you can support that and encourage that and bless that and create a tremendous place where your home can be a place of peace where you can thrive together and your children can thrive in the knowledge and the will of the Lord if you'll support this. God has called ladies to do that. And you know the interesting thing here is is that nowhere do we see in Scripture that your husband must first earn this respect before you give it. That kind of stings, doesn't it? It's real quiet here this morning. Nowhere do we see here that he says, when your husband has earned respect, you give it to him. No, it just says you're supposed to do it. You're supposed to just revere, honor, respect, and love your husband in this way because you're called to do so. Now, let me tell you something, and I'm just going to make this disclaimer here. It's an obvious one before we move on. If your husband is leading you to rob a bank, you shouldn't submit to him in that sense, right? If your husband is leading you into to moral depravity, if your husband is leading you to, to something that you know is not God's will in that sense, you should not follow him, okay? So we've got that disclaimer out there, okay? God gives us a noggin, we're to use it, right? But what he is speaking to us here is the general idea that, ladies, God has called you. To love your husband by honoring him and respecting him and following him. Now, men, the rest of the sermon is mainly for you. All right? And now we're going to get hard on the guys today. So you ladies here this morning, you know, if, if you're one, one of those ladies that, that you know, you, have, you really wrestle with this idea of submission and you really wonder why does God put this passage in the Bible uh, did did Paul really get this from God, or was he he just someone who was a male chauvinist who inserted it in there? Well, listen, the Holy Spirit preserved it, kept it, and gave it to us, so it's of God, okay? And it, there there are times when the Bible speaks in ways that that step on our toes and into our modern sensibilities, so to speak, right? Because our culture many times speaks and preaches and believes something that is totally contrary to God's word. This is one of those times. But when we look at what the rest of the passage says about manhood and being a godly husband, the whole thing comes together and it comes alive. You look at this passage of Scripture, and what you see here is Paul says, and I'm reading from the New Living Translation, for wives, this means submit to your husbands as to the Lord. Now, I've preached this before, and before we move on, just say, you know, Really, if you get down into the Greek and you get down in the original language, he's saying that you should worship your husband the way you do Jesus. It's almost that strong in the language, in the original language. It is really strong what Paul is saying here and how a wife should love and honor and revere and reverence her husband. You're not to make him God, but the language here is you almost treat him as such. It is just that powerful what Paul is speaking to here. But then he goes on. He says, for a husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church. He is the savior of his body, of, of his body, the church, as the church submits to Christ. So you wives should submit to your husbands in everything. And then he says, for husbands, this means love your wives just as Christ loved the church. 
Gentlemen, we are called to love our wife as Christ loves the church. And the last I checked, Christ loved the church to death. He laid his life down for the church. He bled for the church. Now, you and I are not worth the price Christ Christ chose to pay for us. He did not wait for us to become worthy of that price which he was willing to pay for us. Scripture says, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So it's not about your wife deserving your sacrificial love. You and I are called to give it to her on her worst day. Right? We are called to love our wives sacrificially, unconditionally, to serve her, to bless her, to put her needs ahead of our own, to sacrifice that she might have the very best life possible, to sacrifice so that she may become and walk in everything that Christ has dreamed for her life to be in his heart and mind. It is our opportunity and God's will for our life that we might lay our life down so that our wives may become, may thrive and become everything that God has intended for our wives to be. That's what Jesus did for us. Jesus gave himself for his bride so that he might make her perfect. You go on and read the rest of this passage. He says he gave up his life for her to make her holy and clean, washed by the cleansing of God's word. He did this to present her to himself as a glorious church without spot or wrinkle or any other blemish. Poured out his life for his church, his bride, so that he might continue to pour his life into her that she might become this wonderful, perfect, holy, without blemish bride. You know, I, I talk to guys sometimes who say, I'm looking for a wife and I need this, 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 and this. You know, there's not anything necessarily wrong with having a sense of standards. You want to marry someone who is a believer, right? Yes, absolutely. Someone that shows good moral character, absolutely. But the greatest list that you can make when you consider your future spouse, man or woman, is what might you give? What might you pour into someone? And you know, as men, that is the call of marriage. It's not about what I'm getting out of it, because let me tell you something, you're going to get more than you ever give. I mean, if you marry a godly good woman, you're going to get much more than you could ever give. Adam was given Eve because he was incomplete. He needed that that spouse, he needed someone. He was lonely. God saw that he needed a companion, someone to cooperate with him and live life with him. You're going to receive all that. But you need to understand the opportunity of marriage is for you to, to die. The opportunity for us as men in marriage, now listen to me, guys. The opportunity for us as men in marriage is to die, to lay down our life, give our life to our wife. So that she might flourish. If you see marriage as a caveman kind of experience where you're going to receive this woman who's supposed to submit to you and you're going to browbeat her and tell her what to do the rest of her life, she's going to serve you, you've missed the point. And you've completely misunderstood and abused this passage of Scripture to your own selfish ends. 
Yes, God has called her to submit to your loving leadership as we submit to the loving and gracious leadership of our God, Jesus Christ, who laid down his life for us so that we might be made holy without blemish and perfect before him, that we might be sanctified. Now, I came across a story some time ago that illustrates this point perfectly. I'm going to read part of it to you here. There's a fellow named Johnny Lingo, L-I-N-G-O. I don't know if that's the correct pronunciation of his name, but he wanted to get married. He lived in a completely different culture, different time. He lived in a time that's so different from us, you're just going to have to understand it as I go through this story and read this story, okay? I'm not saying that we should go purchase our wives for cows, okay? But just go with me. But Johnny Lingo wanted to get married, so he went to his native island of Kinuata to find his wife. The custom of his people was to trade in cows, a precious commodity there, for a bride. Typically, two or three cows would buy a fair to midland wife. Right? Four or five cows would purchase a highly satisfactory wife. Johnny Lingo traded 10 cows for his wife. Everyone thought Johnny was crazy. In the eyes of the Kinawatans, Sarita, his bride, was barely worth one cow. A local man described her in these words. It would be kindness to call Sarita plain. She was little and skinny. She walked with her shoulders hunched and her head ducked as if she was trying to hide behind herself. Her cheeks had no color. Her eyes never opened beyond a slit and her hair was a tangled mop half over her face. She was scared of her own shadow, frightened by her own voice. She was afraid to laugh in public. She never seemed to associate with girls, much less attract the attention of any boys. Yet Johnny paid a ten cow price for her and they sailed off together on their honeymoon. No one knew of Johnny and Sarita since their nuptials. A young man who was interested in getting married was told the story and intrigued by it, and with time on his hands, decided to find out himself. He sailed to Narabundi, where Johnny and Sarita lived. He found Johnny and related to Johnny the reason for his visit. Johnny confirmed the story. It's true. I paid ten cows for Sarita. As they talked, one of the most beautiful, elegant women he had ever seen in his eyes crossed the room with flowers in her hand to place in a vase. And he described her with the following words. When I saw her through the glass beaded doorway that simmered in the archway, I, I watched her enter the adjoining room to place a bowl of blossoms on the dining room table. She stood still for a moment to smile with sweet gravity at the young man beside me. Then she went swiftly out again. She was the most beautiful woman I have ever seen. This girl had an ethereal loveliness that was at the same time from the heart of nature. The dew-fresh flowers with which she pinned back her lustrous black hair accented the glow of her cheeks. The lift of her shoulders, the tilt of her chin, the sparkle of her eyes all spelled a dignity to which no one could deny her the right. And as she turned to leave, she moved with grace that made her look like a queen. Before the man could say anything, 
Johnny said, this is my Sarita, my tin cow wife. She's changed a lot, part of which is the result of knowing that she is a tin cow wife. She has no need to worry when other women compare themselves by how much they cost or were paid for at their marriage. She costs more than any of them. To many, she was not worth one cow, and she believed this also. But I loved her and not any other. I wanted to marry her. You see, I always wanted a ten-cow wife. Let me tell you something, guys. Some of you fellows in here want a ten-cow wife, but you're unwilling to pay the price for one. And as a result, your wife feels, sees herself, and acts like a one-cow woman. You see, Christ has put the responsibility for the initiative in our hands. Everyone wants to focus on this submission thing that the Bible speaks to. Fine. It's there. But the initiative and the responsibility for the initiative rest in our hands as men. You want a tin cow kind of wife? And if you tell people about this sermon, you better explain exactly what I meant by those cows, all right? But you want a, a tin cow wife? You want a tin cow marriage? You have the opportunity. You have the privilege. You have the right given you by God to take the initiative to create a tin cow wife and a tin cow kind of marriage. Jesus set the example for us by paying a price much too high for us so that he might give his life to us so that we might blossom in him and become wholly perfect without blemish. That's the picture God intends for us to follow as men in our marriage. Let me ask you a question. Who gives his life to the church? Who takes the initiative to save us and make us perfect? Who began a good work in us and is committed to faithfully complete it? Christ. Who takes the initiative to save the marriage? Who takes the initiative to strengthen, to empower, to bless, to create within the home? Who's to take the initiative to carry on to completion what has begun 6, 10, 20, 30, 50 years ago? It's you, brother. It's you. It's you and it's me as men. You and I are not God for our wife, but we are a primary instrument in the hand of God. As we emulate his love and sacrifice for a woman he himself deemed valuable enough to die for. This requires faith. This requires that we believe the word of God. This requires that we trust God and his power at work within us to do it. 
because it goes beyond our ability to do to love sacrificially as Christ loves. Because we are built as selfish individuals. As human beings, we are always fighting and battling against a sin nature that wants to raise its ugly head from the dead. If you want this kind of life and you want this kind of marriage, you want this kind of love in your home, then you've got to go to Christ for it. But here's the good news. While this illustration Paul uses here gives us specifics on how to do marriage, what it really is, the overarching theme and what it really is speaking to is Christ's relationship with us. This is one of the neatest passages in all of Scripture because in the midst of speaking to one of the most difficult things for us to do as men and women, to love a fallible, imperfect human being perfectly, Christ teaches us that He loved an imperfect, fallible, sin-sick bride with His very life and spilled blood so that He might make us perfect. And in Him, because we are in Him, we are connected to Him in marriage. We are, we are the bride of Christ. We are, we are our spirits joined to His and one with Him. Because of that, we now are empowered and able to do things that we could never do on our own. That is amazing, isn't it? It's incredible. See, Christ is telling us here that we are valuable. We are his ten cow wife. We are invaluable to him. And he is perfecting us and enabling us to live for him. As he wants us to do. You know, I have never spoke to anyone who had a perfect life. And I have never spoken to anyone who had a perfect marriage. So this message this morning is for all of us, right? Each and every one of us. There are ways, there are things that we can do as men to better love our wives. There are ways that each and every woman in this room can respect and honor and love her husband. There are ways in this, for everyone in this room that we as men can, can better lead our homes to the vision and direction that Christ has for us. And there are ways and things that each and every woman in this room could do to love and support and to submit to her husband in that process better. The question this morning, gentlemen, is does your lie, does your wife rather, uh, does she understand that you have a desire to do this? Does she know how she is loved? How does she see her value? Because she's going to get her value from you in a great many ways. See, our value comes from Christ and what he paid for us, yes. Ultimately, that is where we, we find our esteem. That's where we find our personhood and who we are, yes. But as an instrument in the hands of God, we play a tremendous role in how our wives see themselves. Gentlemen, the question is this morning, are you loving your wife as Christ loved the church? Does she feel valued by the way you esteem her, treat her, and lead your home? I could give you all kinds of specific things that you need to do A, B, C, and D, but let me tell you something. The Holy Spirit's going to give that to you this morning because here's what I'm just going to give you as you leave here today. You are called to love your wife by laying down your life, thinking and putting her first, esteeming her ahead of all others apart from Christ himself, to value her ahead of anything and everything and everyone else. Does your wife feel that way? And how can you make her feel that way? How can you honor her? 
How can you revere her? How can you lift her up? How can you esteem her? How can you love her and put her first? How can you let her know these things? And guys, as I said, we, we could talk about the A, Bs, and Cs. You can open doors for her. You can, you can check on her. You can send her love notes. You can lead your family in devotionals. There are a great many different things you can do. But listen, let's just talk about what we know to do and ask the Holy Spirit to give us the specifics as we go. As we walk each step of tomorrow, as we walk the rest of this day, God, how can I let her know that she is my 10-cow woman? How can I let her know that she is more valuable to me than all of the precious stones in the world? And she is more valuable to me than any other person on this earth. How can I let her know that I love her even with my life? And ladies, does your husband know that you honor him and respect him? That you're proud of him? Are you loving your husband by offering the honor and respect that is due him just because he is your husband? Not because he deserves it. Not because he's done anything spectacular, noteworthy. Just because he is your husband. Does he know that kind of love from you? Are you allowing him to be your protector, your provider, your love, your savior in your home? The one who gives guidance to the household? Are you submitting to your husband as Christ has called you to do so? As he's called his church to submit to him? I know that there are a great many men that are not doing their part and not doing their job. But listen, ladies, you can do your job. You can do your part and trust the Lord to take care of him. And I know that there are a great many times this is a very, very difficult thing to do. But it's what Christ has called us to do. Fellas, I don't care how she responds to you. You do what you're supposed to do. Ladies, I don't care how he responds to you. You do what Christ has called you to do. And you trust God for the rest. You trust him to change that person you're married to. You pray. You seek the Lord's intervention into the relationship. And I'm going to give you a little secret here. The way God has designed men and women, unless there's something psychologically wrong with you, unless there's something psychologically wrong with, with them, they are going to respond to this kind of behavior. Fellas, let me, let me just spell that out for you. You love your wife sacrificially. You lay down your life for her. You put her needs ahead of your own. You pour out your life for her in the way that this scripture talks about. Your wife is built to respond to that kind of love. God designed her that way. Ladies, you respect, revere, and honor your husband in the way that Scripture teaches here unless something is just totally wrong with him. He's built to respond. Now, we recognize sin. We recognize the power of sin in people's lives and mess all kinds of people up. And there are times when we just need to pray against that sin in that spouse's life and that person's life, and we need to pray that God would change them. But the hope for that kind of change is for you to be faithful. And you to do what God's called you to do within your home. You know, when we look at this passage of Scripture and we talk about marriage today with folks, it is amazing where the institution of marriage is today. But it's always been difficult. Marriage has always been hard. Marriage is not easy. But marriage is very doable. Marriage is blessed of God. And it, next to salvation, is 
the greatest gift and one of the very best gifts that God gave man. So in closing today, let me just say this. First of all, to those who are single who want to get married, this is the kind of person you hope to marry. And this is the kind of person you need to be. And this is the kind of person that you need to be ready to be if you intend to be married. So begin to pray now that God would make you that kind of person, even today, and pray that God would lead you to that kind of person who has this kind of vision for marriage. For those that are married, if you have not treated your wife as a tin cow woman, today is the day to make that kind of commitment. And if you have not treated your husband with the kind of reverence and respect and honor that is due him because he is your husband, then today is the day to make that decision. Today is the day to repent of sin and begin to give your marriage to Christ, your home to him. Today's the day, and this is the moment. Jesus Christ loves each one of us beyond our comprehension, and he has placed a value on us that we cannot fathom. And all of this begins in your relationship and with your relationship to him. And if you do not have a relationship with Jesus Christ, you need to come to the love that has been poured out for you on the cross and give your heart to him because your marriage will never be right until first your life is right with him because you can never be who you are called to be in marriage until you are first rightly joined with Christ in marriage to him. Joined to Christ as his bride. So if you do not have a relationship with Jesus Christ, this is the moment for you to come and have a right relationship with Jesus Christ. If you have a relationship with Jesus Christ and you know that your marriage has not been what it should be, then today is the day to repent and to give your marriage anew and your relationship anew and make new commitments to Him. If you're single this morning and you know Jesus, maybe this morning is the time that you come face to face with your selfishness and your thoughts towards marriage and you begin to get yourself ready for marriage by giving your heart to Christ in a brand new way than you ever have. See, there's business to do here this morning, isn't there? There's business to do with God. So we're going to come to a time of invitation, and we're going to offer us an opportunity, each of us, to do business with God. And if you don't know Jesus, this is the place. If there needs to be a prayer here at the altar, then come pray at the altar. But whatever it is that God has laid on your heart to do, do it from where you are, do it up here, whatever it is this morning, do it. Don't leave here the way you walked in. And let he who began a good work in you bring it another step forward as you take that next step in Christ towards the completion that he promised here today. Let's bow together.